Hey folks, it's a busy week in Manhattan DA Cy Vance's office. Following last week's Supreme Court decision, former President Trump's accounting firm Mazars USA delivered his financial records to Vance's office. Meanwhile, Vance reportedly subpoenaed the financial records of Steve Bannon as part of the probe into his involvement in the alleged border wall fundraising scheme. In other news, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is facing investigations into his administration's handling of nursing homes during the pandemic and allegations of sexual harassment. And a newly declassified intelligence report revealed Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman approved the operation that led to the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Ann Milgram and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the insider community. It's a pretty New York-centric podcast today, Anne, uh, which I think is okay because we're in New York. But you have this continuing controversy with respect to our governor, Andrew Cuomo, on two fronts. Front number one is the issue relating to the reporting of deaths in nursing homes from COVID. Letitia James, the attorney general of the state of New York, issued a scathing report. And in that, in that report, Letitia James, who, by the way, ran on the ticket with Andrew Cuomo and were supportive of each other's candidacies, wrote, OAG, meaning the Office of the Attorney General, is currently conducting investigations into more than 20 nursing homes across the state. And they found that a larger number of nursing home residents died from COVID-19 than the Department of Health data reflected. In fact, they write, quote, our office found that nursing home resident deaths appear to be undercounted by the Department of Health by approximately 50%. And so we know there has been a civil division, main justice from out of Washington, investigation of these reported numbers and then more recently, we have seen reports that the FBI and the Eastern District U.S. Attorney's Office, Eastern District of New York, has opened up an inquiry into these issues. Do you see a crime here? I think that there are sort of two aspects to, to think about this. The first is just going back to March, last March, which is now astonishingly a year ago, when the Cuomo administration, they formed uh, this sort of coronavirus task force. They for about two months, required state nursing homes to accept COVID-positive patients from hospitals. And, and there's some language saying, you know, as long as they could provide for them safely. But there's also, I think, going to be a fair amount of evidence that the many of the nursing homes, not all, but so, at least some of the nursing homes had insufficient staffing, insufficient PPE, no testing available, and that bringing COVID-positive COVID patients back into the nursing homes actually ended up being a huge problem and endangering the lives and, in fact, leading to the deaths of, of many New Yorkers. And so that practice ended after about two months, but, but there were real concerns concerns that were raised. There's also, there was a grant of immunity, not, not immunity from criminal prosecution, but there was a pretty large grant of civil immunity that was given to healthcare providers and nursing homes in last March or April when, when the coronavirus numbers were surging. And so there's a lot that's sort of going on there. What the AG found, uh, Letitia James found, is that when you looked at the numbers that the state had reported, I think it was around 8,400, 8,500 deaths from nursing homes in the state, but that what the state was doing was that they were classifying 
only the deaths that had happened inside the nursing homes as COVID deaths. So individuals who had gotten sick at a nursing home and would have been taken to a hospital, as is frequently the case, and who may have passed away from COVID at the hospital, those numbers were not being attributed to nursing home deaths. They were counted as part of the larger number of people whose lives were tragically lost during this pandemic as part of COVID, but they weren't being counted as as coming from or relating to the nursing home. And that's a big deal for a number of reasons, including as you think about, you know, the the percentage of deaths from of elderly Americans in nursing homes or care facilities from COVID is it's astonishing. I mean, it's 30 or 40 percent of all the deaths. It's really there are real and I think fair questions about how the state of New York and other states handled what is a very, very vulnerable population and not providing accurate information until just recently. I mean, it was this information was actually disclosed after there was a, a, a sort of public records request that was made by a conservative group in New York. And the Cuomo administration was actually found in violation of that law for not disclosing this information. At that point, that's when, and this was after the AG's report, at that point, they reported that there were closer to 15,000 deaths related to nursing homes. So almost double the number. And and the other piece just to like, that I, I feel really strongly about is that This was going on at a time that the state also forbid family members and loved ones and friends from being able to visit people in nursing homes. So you're talking about an incredibly vulnerable population that you're then cutting off like one of the few modes of accountability, which is, you know, friends and visitors and family who might come into a nursing home. And then you're providing information that is at best misleading, right? I mean, there's, I think this is where the questions will be. Like, were they intentionally misleading people so that they weren't called to task for their policies? So that's one piece of it. And related is this question of the federal investigation, which started last summer, the Trump administration under the Civil Rights Division, CRIPA, which is the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons, they they make sure that people who are in care facilities are pro- treated appropriately and that their civil rights are honored. They started an investigation into four Democratic states, so New York, New Jersey, I believe Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And the Cuomo administration's pushback was really this, right? It was this really like, this is a politically motiv- motivated investigation. In some contexts, I mean, here, here's a funny thing that happens in life, that there, there is actually politicization with respect to some things. And then other folks who are, in fact, guilty of engaging in bad conduct try to get under that umbrella of um, charges of politicization so that they can sort of excuse their conduct. I remember this happened with the firing of U.S. attorneys back in 2006 that I've mentioned a number of times and that I helped to lead an investigation of. There were a number of U.S. attorneys who were fired under peculiar circumstances, not for cause, had done a great job. But there came a time where there, had, there was one U.S. attorney who went to the senator of his state and claimed, well, he was also a victim of this politically motivated firing season. And I remember talking to Senator Schumer about it. And based on our analysis, research, and investigation, no, that, that one guy actually was terrible and actually was fired for cause and for good reason. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. He saw it as an opportunity. I'm not saying that's what's happening here, but he saw Are it as an opportunity. Are you going to op- tell us who that guy I'm was? Not, I'm not. Mm. I'm not. I, I don't mm. think. Okay. I, I don't think I should. <laughs> okay. Um, but let me tell you, that guy deserved to get canned in a big way, and 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 shouldn't have been able to come under the tent of the folks whose firings were really questionable. And so that could be some of this here. It's <laughs> what's good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, everyone you know shouts witch hunt, and it's true. As you and I have discussed week after week after week, there's a lot of politicizing of investigations and other kinds of things 
in the Trump administration, especially at the Justice Department, that doesn't mean it happened here. I also think, that depending on the facts, it will be it will be tough to make out an obstruction case. You'd have to show that there was the intent to either falsify evidence, destroy evidence, impede an investigation that was already in existence. And maybe there's some argument that this civil investigation that you just described was being obstructed by the failure to give accurate information. But you know, it, it's an interesting concession that the Cuomo people made. They didn't say, oh no, we did everything the way we were supposed to. They, it, it, it's a bit of a concession that we did something funny with the numbers, but that's because we thought that the investigation and the inquiry was illegitimate. That's a problem. Yeah, we should talk about that. And that this is why I think that they're being investigated and that we've, we've seen so much of it in the news. They have this this happening. They um, don't comply or they don't they they don't honor in in the manner that they're supposed to under the law, the, the freedom of information request, the state the state freedom of information request. There's, I think, some question as to whether they turned over, what what information they turned over to the federal government. Did they turn over everything that they were supposed to turn over to DOJ? But all that is sort of just a, a piece of the conversation. The bigger piece of the conversation and why I think we are really talking about it today is that the secretary to the governor, which is really kind of the right hand to the governor, it's a very, very powerful position in New York, it's really, I think, you know, the person who speaks for the governor the most when the governor is not speaking. And that's a woman named Melissa DeRosa. And she, it's reported that she did a call with the Democratic state legislate, legislators who were calling for, you know, Governor Cuomo has extensive emergency powers right now. And so they were basically saying, you know, that those powers should be revoked. They wanted this ev- this information about um, nursing home fatalities. And so she's reported to have basically said on a call something to the effect of, well, we didn't, we didn't give you the information because we didn't want it to be used against us in a federal investigation, which certainly seems like an effort to prevent a federal investigation, right? And so again, I'm not saying it amounts to a crime, but it certainly raises raises a question of, was the administration putting politics above people's lives and and doing so in a way that could have, you know, if they'd done it differently, could have prevented additional deaths in nursing homes. And so that's why I think this this is a conversation, whether or not it's a crime either for the actual action of what they did or for an alleged cover-up or obstruction, I think that's a that's a much harder question that there's a lot of facts that I think you and I probably would need to know. But but just on its face, I think it's it's obviously deeply concerning that you have somebody saying like, well, we didn't turn it over because we thought there was a political DOJ investigation. That's not, you You really need to be careful about that. And we should say the same thing about Andrew Cuomo that we have said about Donald Trump. And that is just because there's not a crime doesn't mean that the conduct was not bad. And that's not the only standard here. And we're going to get to the other controversy surrounding Andrew Cuomo in a moment. But misleading on numbers and trying to make something look better than it is, is not something that good leaders do. And it can be criticized and critiqued, I think, very, very harshly, even if at the end of the day, there's no crime. That's not the standard for elected officials in this country. I think that's really well said. Related to that, we said it many times related to Donald Trump over the past four years, but when a legitimate institution that has subpoena power compels you to provide information, you don't get to decide whether the institution is doing the job correctly or not. You you can go to court, you can litigate that, but this idea that anyone is able to say, no, I don't have to honor that subpoena or I don't have to listen to that, it's it's not how the rule of law works or should work. And so I, I think that also is implicated in this conversation. So Preet, in the 
in the last week or so, the other thing that's that's really come up with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo are serious allegations of sexual harassment. There were two employees that have come forward and have made public statements, one saying that the governor kissed her on on the lips at one point, another saying that he um, had inappropriate sexual conversations with her, asked her in one instance if she was monogamous, if she about her sex life, whether she would consider being involved with an older man. That, and she took those all as sexual advances. And then just yesterday, um, a third woman who was not a New York State employee, but a young woman, I think, said that she had met Governor Cuomo at a wedding and he had essentially you know, put his hand on her back and on her in a way that she thought was inappropriate, grabbed her face and had essentially tried to kiss her. And there's actually a photograph of him of him holding her face that that's been publicly released. And so he now faces and and I'd be, you know, really curious to your thoughts on this. He now faces an investigation by the New York State AG on sexual harassment grounds. Yeah. So the allegations are very serious and I, I find them quite credible. As always in these cases, I think you need to see what the investigation tells you and see what all the facts are. But, you know, Andrew Cuomo, who's a pretty combative guy, and I should make a, a disclaimer in a moment, pretty combative guy, denies things all the time, has denied some things, but essentially assented to or seems to have assented to the, the allegations made by the second woman with whom he had explicit sexual conversations. And that's not common for him. With respect to how the investigation will unfold, we should remind folks who are not following this closely in New York that, you know, he tried to be too cute by half a couple of times. You know, if, if you're going to cause an investigation to happen, people have to have faith that it's going to be a full and fair and independent investigation. And part of that means not choosing the investigator yourself. So initially, the Cuomo camp said, okay, we're going to appoint an outside lawyer, former judge, Barbara Jones, to do a full and fair investigation. I like Barbara Jones. I've appeared in front of her, had matters in front of her when she was a district court judge in SDNY when I was both the U.S. attorney and when I was a line assistant, and she's terrific. So not impugning her reputation or her skills or her fairness at all. The problem is Cuomo shouldn't be the one picking the person, number one. And number two, she is or was the partner of one of Cuomo's closest allies, confidants, and, and uh, representatives, Steve Cohen. So that didn't look great. There's controversy surrounding you know, that potential appointment. And then he tries his camp, and this happens with Andrew Cuomo all the time. He tries to get ahead of that by saying, okay, well, you don't like that plan. I have a plan B. Plan B is that Letitia James, the state attorney general, together with Janet DeFiori, the chief judge of the New York State Court of Appeals, which is the highest court in New York, they together will pick and appoint an outside lawyer from private practice to conduct a full and fair investigation. And people were like, what does the chief judge of the Court of Appeals have to do with any of this? Well, one thing she has to do with any of this is she is an ally of, of the governor and was appointed to her position by the governor. She owes her job to the governor. Again, not impugning her integrity in any way at all, but it's kind of odd. And then finally, the governor relented to what I think people were calling for all along, which was to make a referral to the attorney general who has power under state law to appoint someone or proceed in a way that allows the issuance of subpoenas and, and compulsion of process. And so that's what's finally happening. But it took a while to get there. Yeah, it's a it's a really fascinating. It was it was sort of like head spinning for the past you know forty eight seventy two hours, and I've done a number of, of investigations into sexual harassment as internal investigations into corporations. And, and you may remember I was. 
Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.